We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Criticism. That was the one thing that, that used to kill me, like that that I was unexcited to be there. I mean, I can't wait to get to Miami. I can't wait to do the game. Here in Super Bowl 54 tonight on Fox. And now welcome inside the broadcast booth, everybody. I'm Joe Buck. And it's a privilege to be there. It sounds corny, but it is. And there's only a select number of people that have ever gotten to do it. And now here we are. 50 years after the fact that the Chiefs were last in it and they won it, and my dad did it on TV. Hello again. We're at the Sugar Bowl, the Lane Stadium in New Orleans. And it is time for the Super Bowl. Hi, I'm Jack Buck. Cram is already on the shoulders of his players. And after being vanquished by Green Bay in 1967, the Chiefs are the champions of pro football. It's just pretty crazy the way all this stuff has come full circle. And they have done it. Chiefs are Super Bowl champions here in Miami. As they win it here in Super Bowl 54. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Welcome back in on 670 to score. You heard the voices of Joe Buck and Jack Buck mixed in there along with our big voice guy, Russ Matera, on our way in. And Joe Buck joins us right now, joins me right now, on the Alpamani Ford hotline, Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park. Love the sound of your dad from the Sugar Bowl doing a little pregame there, Joe Buck. Yeah, and uh, I don't think you and I talked about it, but I wasn't even really aware. Uh, maybe maybe we did, but I wasn't aware that, that he had called it uh, and it was the only Super Bowl he ever called on TV. And then to do it 50 years later is, uh, I don't know. It, it had some mystical feel to it. So what did I do? I wore his watch that he gave me um, during that Super Bowl. And I had his money clip, which had his family crest on it from way back in Ireland. And I had that in my pocket. So I was channeling my inner Jack Buck and had him Definitely with me when I made that call uh, this last February in Miami. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I love the image of, of the money clip with, with the family crest. We should bring those back, family crests, I think. we should. I all... don't even know that they're real. I mean, are they real? Doesn't everybody kind of have the same family crest from back in the day? Uh, you There's know, a sword. Work... Yeah. <laughs> There's a sword. There's like There's a giant mug of mead of some kind. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then leg. it's like, this is us. This is our family crest. No, uh-huh. it isn't. It's everybody's yeah. family crest. 
Uh, actually, your dad came up in one of the play-by-plays that you did. I'll, I'll bring that up later, but I, I loved the reference that you made in it. But this has been really cool, Joe Buck. I don't know why it's been kind of oddly satisfying and calming to hear you do play-by-play of random moments in everyday life as you've been doing. It's funny, my friend Adam Hogue got in there with his uh, with his son just rudely blocking a shot of his son playing basketball inside the house and um, and other stuff. If for anybody that's missed it, let's let's play a little bit of it. This is this is some darts. Joe Buck doing play by play of uh, some vicious darts action. This man has the characteristics of some sort of witch. Big fan of the Blues Brothers and can throw darts at some crazy angle. All right, let's roll it. First throw. Very close to a bullseye. A little short. A little long with that one. And now he's got it. A bullseye. It's happened. Tom Martin has stunned himself and the world. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know why this has been so satisfying and calming. Has it been satisfying to you to do this stuff? It, no, totally. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And it doesn't, I, as as I've said a couple times on other shows, you know, I try to make it as uh, spontaneous as I can. I'm not looking at the video a hundred times and writing out a script. I would rather try to do it the way I do a game and just naturally be surprised by what happens. So I'll watch it through one time or I'll fast forward through it just to see how long it is because some are 18 seconds, some are two minutes like the marble race. And then I'll, I'll just sit at my desk talking to a microphone, send the file to Fox. They match it up to the video. Then they crank it back out. I guess through me, you know, they, they email me back the the links and then I put them back up on Twitter and it's been fun. I, it was a total whim. It was something that my boss and I talked about uh, about a week before they actually started to hit the internet. And we were kind of joking. And then, I added the charity arm to it and wanted to, instead of doing play-by-play of viral videos, which seemed really self-serving, just do it of people in quarantine just like everybody else, just like us here in St. Louis, you know, locked in the uh, walls of our house with two-year-old twins and sometimes going crazy and fighting over nothing uh, and then realizing how great we have it all in the same hour and uh, I, I wanted to do it that way. And now we're, you know, we're basically 10 million views of these videos, which I never thought was, I mean, I wouldn't have even thought 50,000 views, let alone 10 million. Well, yeah, the, the way you described the quarantine is, is so right. Me, me, me and my wife just at each other's throats over absolutely nothing and then immediately laughing shortly thereafter. And, uh, and I think I've done all the puzzles. If you have any puzzles, of any kind, jigsaw or oh, otherwise. I have puzzles, but they're geared toward two-year-olds. So I think you'd probably rip through them pretty fast. Like uh, well, where the yeah. orange, the orange fits into the circle, uh, the pizza fits into the triangle. That's kind of what we're doing over here, which has been challenging to me. But I think you're smarter than I am. Yeah, just maybe just a just a hair, I think. But it's no, um, totally. Why it, do you have to bring uh, up hair? I, I can't help myself. It's my own fault. God. I know. Ever since you what saw a the picture, yeah, you saw the picture of me. I, I sent it just to show you. I think the lizard or the kid or something, and all you all you looked at was the hair. That's all you saw. I didn't see a kid. Hair. I didn't see a lizard. I saw no child. Uh, I just saw a full head of hair, which, uh, yeah. as you know, just immediately ticks me off. And in fact, 
I just did a video yesterday, or it hit the uh, internet yesterday, of Justin Thomas of the PGA Tour uh, gently placing his remaining follicles into their proper place in the morning. He sent it to me. He's like, what can I do? I want you to do a video of mine and, and post it. I said, well, I've seen you make fun of your hairline. Uh, I've made a career now of making fun of my hairline. Send me a video of you placing your hair in the morning, and I'll do play-by-play of that, which he did. Then he wanted me to involve Jordan Spieth, who also has a uh, retreating hairline. So I got Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth in the same video uh, ripped on Jordan at Justin's uh, behest. They, um, you can find this stuff at Buck uh, on, the, on the Twitters. See, that's, it's brilliant to make a career out of the hairline conversation because what you're doing is something that any, any entertainer worth his salt eventually does. Mark Marin, I think, said it best that <clears throat> he became a comic because he wanted to control why people were laughing at him. Like, people are going to laugh at you no matter what. But if you can control why they're laughing at you, then all of a sudden it just doesn't, it doesn't pack any punch. You know? Yeah, well, I have friends like that. Uh, I have a, a friend of mine's wife who shall remain nameless. But every time you know we end up in the same place, she comes at it on offense, and I think it's it's just her defense mechanism. And she's a very pretty girl, and she's uh, you know there's there's nothing that she doesn't have going for. Her, but when you see her, it's just like oh, so we're growing a beard now, are we? Got a little more gray in there than the last time I saw you. Then you spend the next. 35 seconds defending your beard, your gray in your beard, and yourself. And therefore, in her mind, she's thinking, well, you don't have anything to come at me with because there's just no time. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, for Mark Marin, that's how all of us grew up on the playground. I mean, I was a little fat kid on the playground. And I mean, throughout middle school, and there was this other guy, and he and I would, people would gather around to watch us rip on each other. Uh, and and it, I think it developed my play-by-play skills, developed whatever uh, blunt wit I have, and uh, I, it was probably great training that I wasn't even aware I was undergoing at the time, but it was, uh, it was valuable. Now, that said, you never really get over the scars inflicted on the playground, which has kept a therapist uh, in my life and fully funded uh, for the next, I don't know, 20, 25 years. Yeah, well, you know, right, right there with us. A solid, solid thirty years in in therapy has only crystallized the things that I continue to have to work on. This is uh, sort of yeah. Well, sort of I'm actually starting. I'm I'm actually you're the first person I'm even telling uh, publicly, but starting a podcast on Thursday. I've broken down. It's actually happened. I'm doing a podcast with Oliver Hudson, who is. Well, the name of the podcast is Daddy Issues because we both have daddy issues, and we are both dads. And he is obviously Goldie Hawn's son, Kate Hudson's yeah. brother, Wyatt Russell's brother, uh, and uh, Kurt Russell's stepson. And his his father uh, was uh, an actor and entertainer. So he's got daddy issues a mile long. I have maybe a quarter mile's worth of daddy issues. And then it's about kind of you know <laughs> how how we navigate the world. Uh, as, as fathers in 2020. Wow, that's awesome. I look forward to it. Did you did you read the Springsteen book, Joe, as we have a conversation on the air that could be uh, off the air, but um, but that's that's my prerogative, damn it. it. Did you read the Springsteen book by chance? <laughs> I know, and it's sitting in my office. Uh, and so if you're going to tell me right now that that's something I need to read, 
and yeah. he's somebody I need to try to uh, corral to come on this thing, then tell me now yes. and I'll go grab it and start this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, obviously the stuff about his music and his career is amazing, and it's so well thought out what he decided to do and how he went about it. I recommend the book so highly. But he writes about his dad in a beautiful way. It made me write down a quote. I'll share it with you. Because once his dad passed away, he wrote this. Those whose love we wanted but could not get, we emulate. It is dangerous, but it makes us feel closer. Gives us an illusion of the intimacy we never had. And that that has killed, right? Doesn't it, isn't that oof? Ooh. It kills me. I, I think about my mom. For me, it's my mom. I, I just wasn't close enough. And so I've ended up being like her an awful lot. It's dangerous, but it makes me feel closer. Isn't that good? It's beautiful and it's deep. And I think it's, it's more what, and I'm not being funny about this. It's more what Oliver deals with. And then on, on my side of it, I think I, for the rest of my life, at least around St. Louis and for people of a certain age, I will always be compared to and never match up to the legend of my dad, which grows with each passing day. So I, I think that yeah. that's kind of my side of it. As far as were we close, did I have his love? Yeah, we were very close and I knew that uh, and I knew that I had his love and we were not afraid to say it to each other. Um I remember one time he was sitting in the media lunchroom at Bush Stadium. I, I don't know who the, who the visiting team was. We'll say the Cubs uh, for purpose of this conversation in Chicago. <laughs> and he was he was sitting at a at a table. And whenever he walked into the media lunchroom, everybody kind of congregated around him, and he was telling stories and whatever. And I walked in later, and he and I were radio partners with Mike Shannon. And I walked in, and I was always affectionate with my dad. And I leaned in, and I gave him a kiss on the forehead. And he said, take it easy, Buck. Not everybody knows we're father and son. <laughs> Which is probably more appropriate for uh, 2001 or 2000, whenever this transpired. But that was just his quick wit and sense of humor and why people congregated to him. So while I had his love and while I had his attention and he took me everywhere by the time I was 12 uh-huh. around the National League, uh, I also shared him with everybody. So it was, it was kind of a give and take. I knew that I had a piece of him, but man, everybody had a small piece of him, uh, in this small town of St. Louis. And, uh, yeah, I was always fighting against that. And I'll always be compared, even, even if it's not real in my mind, uh, to the legend of my dad. So that's, that's kind of how we're coming at this thing. But I, I, now you've made me salivate over, uh, the Springsteen book, if it's that well-written. Oh, it, it's alarmingly well-written. It's maddeningly well-written. You're like, you're not supposed to be this good at this, too. How dare you right. be this good? Did he write you know? it with somebody, or is it him putting pen to paper or him putting uh, fingers to keyboard, I, I wonder? I, I, I think I think it's just him. Um, I've actually listened to the audio book, um, and it's, been, it's him doing the audio book, which is even more... Even more compelling. I um, there's I, some I learned... depth there. I mean, you're you're a music guy, and so I'm, and yeah. I'm totally jealous of that. Uh, just your ability to to do what you do in that world, and you know, you and I have talked. So this isn't a huge name drop. You and I have talked about Eddie Better, and we've been together with Eddie after Cubs games uh, across the street. And when I get a text from him, especially the long ones, if it's been a while or I'm doing a big game and he sees it or whatever, 
it's it's a tax that is like i don't know probably the the bulk of it is probably six eight inches long and it's spaced out well and it's so perfectly written that you want to put music to his text and uh he and springsteen are very close and and are constantly watching sporting events that i'm doing and they will both end up sending me you know, some note on whatever game I'm doing. I'm not saying any of that to name drop. I'm saying that because their ability to write almost supersedes their ability to play or put music to. That's what makes them great. Yeah, they're they're great guitarists. Yeah, they have the ability to put music to their words. But the words yeah. and the depth of them and what they mean, I think, makes them the Hall of Famers that they are. Yeah, no, that's. I think I think that's well said. I'll 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 tell you this from the Bruce book. It's also a matter of how you think about your career, and maybe you can relate from when you started at Fox doing football. You were what, 23, 24, something like that. Yeah, I was 24, 24, and uh, I was 24 when I got hired. I think I was 25 okay. when I was at Soldier Field on opening day in 1994. Yeah, I was definitely Amazing. 25 uh, with the Bears taking on the Buccaneers and me sitting there wondering what the hell I was doing because I'd never done football before. Wow, that's, 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 that's incredible. The um, Springsteen had this whole life as a bluesy, psychedelic lead guitar player, like a long-haired, psychedelic guitar hero, like he was in Cream or something like that. Right. And, yeah. he had, and, and, and they toured and they did this whole thing. And then he was 22, I think it was, and he had this meeting with, with this powerful guy in New York and he realized, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to be special as a guitar player. I'm not going to be special as a singer. I got to do it as a writer. And he hunkered down for like eight months and just wrote a batch of songs and said, I got to make myself special as a writer. That's what's going to make me unique. Wow. <clears throat> and he wrote Greetings from Asbury Park. But imagine having the self-awareness to look at yourself and say, this doesn't make me special. I'm going to have to do this and then doing it. It's crazy. It is. And I, it's those people that have the ability to, to get up to 30,000 feet and look down at their life and see what their path is or being aware enough to, to know what differentiates his career uh, compared to whomever. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the great guitar players of all time are well-documented and a documentary, which I'm sure you've seen uh, it might get loud. I think it's called this so good with loud. all the guitar players. It might get loud. Oh my yeah. God. It's yeah, so it's, it's amazing, but, you know, to to have the ability to write, I mean that that's depths of of mind that I don't think ever leaves you. And and I, I see it with Eddie, and I certainly I, with the following that Bruce has. And I've never been a diehard Springsteen guy for whatever reason, um, but I probably will be after I read this book. Yeah, it 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 kind of kind of brings you there. Talking with Joe Buck on on Hit and Run on on six seventy the score. There's a great moment, and it might get loud if anybody hasn't seen it. It's The Edge and Jack White and Jimmy Page um, kind of talking guitar and playing guitar, where Jimmy Page is listening to Link Ray playing Rumble. And you can tell it's one of the first things that ever like turned his mind on to music. And he has this look of joy, like an eight-year-old listening to something and just it lighting him on fire. And that's that's the feeling I try to always access about baseball if i can 
Like I loved it so much as a kid and I and now we know how the sausage is made and we get a little closer, but still you can let yourself get there every once in a while. And I know for you, you've told you've told me that you can do that with the St. Louis Blues as a fan. You can have that kind of innocent sort of joy and appreciation. Um, I, I wonder if you can feel that about about baseball, and maybe even this long pause will make you make you feel a, a you know a, a longing for it that some of us are feeling right now. Yeah, I'd, well, for sure. I, I was yesterday. I was flipping around channels, and I got to MLB Network, and they had 1986 Game Five of the NLCS, and it was Doc Gooden against Nolan Ryan, a, a young Doc Gooden against an aging, I think he was 39 at the time, Nolan Ryan. Those lineups are just fantastic. I mean, I can remember everybody in in each lineup, and I think about how I felt about baseball. That was 17 at that point. And, uh, my God, it just watching baseball from Shea Stadium, which for anybody that ever worked inside Shea Stadium, uh, and, and even diehard Mets fans would tell you that place was just a dump. But But seeing it on tv again i was like god i missed that stadium and i missed those camera angles and the the view like from the on deck circle out into that kind of weird left field and the apple that would pop up which i know they moved over but it just doesn't have the same feel for me and and just baseball at that time baseball was so i mean that was my life back then and now i've had you know with kids and other parts of my career and whatever you used to you go back and you start watching some of that stuff like I, I could sit here in my living room or my bedroom and just watch straight like the 1980s of baseball, not the seventies, not the nineties for <laughs> me, it would be the 1980s of major league baseball. And I would remember damn near everybody that popped onto the screen because I was just, I couldn't get enough, but you're right. I mean, once you get close, you almost know too much. You see behind the scenes, you start meeting some of these guys. Most are fantastic, wonderful people. And then there are a few that aren't, and you start seeing the business side of it or the from their side of it. You know, I, I remember when I was 13 and with my dad on a on a road trip, and whoever the closer was, I guess I would have been probably Bruce Souter, uh, who was one of the all-time greats and is in the Hall of Fame, uh, I believe, definitely in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. He is. And he, he is gave up. Yeah, he gave up a, a game-winning home run. And it just was crushing to me as a kid. And I remember getting on the charter plane, and within five minutes, you know, the middle seat goes down, the cards come out, the meal money goes on the on the makeshift table, and they're playing cards, laughing, having beers. And I'm like, why, why does it bother me? Why I can't get over that home run that was just hit that beat the Cardinals? And now, you know, these guys don't they, they don't live with it like that. It's their life. It's their business. It, they have to put it away to be able to mm. compete the next day. And once you see enough, you have enough of those scars, you kind of lose a little bit of that. So I, I think over the years, even from when I was a little kid till certainly now as a 50-year-old, uh, a little bit of that mystical kid stuff is gone, although watching the game yesterday from 86 just was awesome. Well, it, we're fortunate to have everything we, we have. Like as, as we just kind of work with the content that we have right now in the midst of our communal quarantine, so much of those games include you. It's like 
the 2016 World Series is everywhere in this town right now. The the 2005 World Series is everywhere. Um, 2004 Red Sox. It, I mean, and it's you. It's it's so much of you. It's amazing. Have you caught an old game of yourself at all? Can you stand to listen to it if you run across it? Yeah, I mean, no. That's a that's a good question because normally, no, I I wouldn't. If if I if I ran across it, although if it's long enough ago, like 04. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have a much better time watching that because it's so long ago that I don't remember whatever choices I was making at the time. And it's it's just a fair listen of my own work. If I go back, even, you know, 2016, I can still kind of feel being there and I can I can watch the inning unfold and I can remember what was going through my mind. And I, I it's just it's almost too fresh where, again, I know too much and I know where I'm. Where, where I'm succeeding, I know where I'm failing, I know what I want to get to and I can't get to it because something happens and it changes the flow of the inning or whatever it might be. But if I go back to 04 and I watch some of that stuff, or even before that, like 96, when I was 27 and sitting in the booth at Yankee Stadium and watching Jeter, who was the rookie of the year that year, and, and knowing what was to come, and then knowing what was to come in my own life and watching me, you know, almost as a as a – third party or another party watching this young kid do the world series it's it's makes me feel good because i think man this was my first chance on the really big stage and i didn't suck i didn't blow it it was yeah. it's a good listen and i and i hear confidence in my voice even though when i was sitting there i know i wasn't confident so that was it's good to go back and and watch some of that really old stuff Comparatively speaking, it's it's uh, I don't know. It gives me kind of inspiration or a little bit of a little bit of confidence and a little bit of satisfaction this many years later. Oh, good. It should. It should at this point of a career. Talking with Joe Buck on hit and run on 670 to score. Um, all right. So that, look, I got to play this for you because the 2016 World Series has been everywhere. And every time I see game seven, I get mad all over again at Joe Madden. And I could not avoid it the other night. I try not to watch it, frankly. But I was struck by how much you and Smoltz saw coming, as most of us did. And this is, this is the moment um, when, when John Lester comes in in the middle of a dirty inning to relieve Kyle Hendricks. This is from Game 7. I know no team wants to face John Lester, but I don't believe the Cleveland hitters are going to be that heartbroken to see Kyle Hendricks out. I think there's one more element, and this is, I guarantee you, what Joe Madden will tell you. I want Lester in the game. I don't want to bring Lester in mid-inning, so I'm not waiting for Kyle Hendricks to get into trouble because then it takes Lester out of the mix, so he'd rather start the inning fresh with John Lester. Baseball just lends itself to first guessing, certainly second guessing, and Hendricks is out of the ballgame, and this starts the bullpen carousel for the Chicago Cubs, and John Lester comes in. He worked at home in game five three nights ago. This will be second guest. Uh, that's a couple different moments pieced together, but my God, like he said it was going to be a clean inning, and then it wasn't a clean inning, and it all fell apart, and you were very, very comfortable. You and Smoltz were very comfortable and gave us all the context, but do you remember the energy and the angst of that night? Because it is genuinely painful to relive every time, even knowing the outcome. Yeah, I mean, and, and I love Joe. Of all the guys that we've talked to in their office before the game, nobody is less paranoid. Nobody is less guarded 
than Joe Madden. And so you get probably more information. I'm not going to say than you should. I mean, it's great to have all the information that we get, but we specifically talked to him before that game about those exact moments and where yeah. he wanted guys to come into the ball game. And it wasn't just, I mean, the other part, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Lester came in, Contreras came out and Ross came in to catch, uh, yes. which which burned another bench guy. Now, Ross, I think, later hit a home run. Yep. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, but it, it just set off a chain reaction that flew in the face of everything he said he wanted to do before the game. And And here's the thing. If the starting pitcher stinks that night, well, it's all, none of it matters anyway. But he was unbelievable and rolling, and nobody was, was figuring out Hendricks. And so it, he had the chance to put his plan into place. And because he started that carousel as early as he did and took out a starting pitcher that was rolling, I think probably out of nerves, uh, got Chapman into the game before he should have been in. And that yep. led to the Davis home run, which led to the tie, which led eventually to the 10th inning and, and the win. And, and it only becomes, you know, cool baseball talk after the fact. But had it, had it ended the other way, you know, I don't, I don't know how you live that down because it, it, he did exactly what he told us he didn't want to do. Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. It, it was mapped out right there for you. Remember, there's a moment in the, early in the game where you say, I'd be surprised if John Lester doesn't come into this game. And I think that's what happened to, to Joe is he got to the point where it was either use him or, or lose him. And he had convinced himself that John had to come in. So, so, so well, I mean, was. but, but it's, it's interesting now that we sit here and talk about it, because if you think back to this past world series and a game seven in Houston, uh, Garrett Cole sat in the bullpen the entire night and they yeah. had a lead. And they had an opportunity. Uh, Granke was rolling. And Granke was, was doing what Hendricks was doing. And uh, what happened was, because the game was where it was in a specific inning, it kind of passed Garrett Cole by. And he had to go. He went to others. Uh, A.J. Hinch did in his bullpen. Lesser pitchers, obviously. Uh, and he 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 got caught trying to uh, get extra outs with Granky, and then when he took him out, it felt a little bit early. Unless it was Garrett Cole coming in, and you end up losing Game Seven with a willing and rested Garrett Cole sitting in the bullpen and never getting in the game. So that's the other side of it. I mean, if Lester's been as good as he's been, and it all comes down to one game, you want him in the ball game. Where does that happen? Okay, I'm going to take a shot here. It goes both. That thing cuts both ways. And in the end, the Cubs won. And in the end, the Astros lost. And in the end, Lester got in the ball game and probably got big outs that we're not thinking about. And Garrett yes. Cole sat out there and, and left and is now a Yankee for three billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess what the point ends up being is that it's really fun and wacky to have your starting ace out there as an option, but it changes the dynamic of everything and adds a wrinkle that can bite you in the ass in, in either direction. Yeah, because um, uh, uh, those guys aren't out there. It's, it's right. foreign. It's foreign not only to them, but it's foreign to the manager, and you don't know what the guy's going to have. 
And there have been many, many, many great pitchers who have pitched on short rest most of the time as starters who get lit up. So if you if Granky's doing his thing, okay, we're getting enough outs. Now I can go to my normal bullpen. There's some, there's some, I think some wisdom in thinking that way. And I think AJ Hinch is a smart take all the, the sign stealing stuff out of it. I think AJ Hinch is one of the smartest guys I've talked to in a long time in the game of baseball. And he said, okay, he got us far enough to where we don't have to go a route. We never go, which is Garrett Cole out of the bullpen. Our bullpen's good enough. We can get this done. And then what happens is they lose, they lose the lead. They lose the game. And uh, Garrett Cole never pitches, and everybody goes, "How's Garrett Cole not in the game?" Yeah, I. Um, well, Joe, I what you're doing on Twitter at Buck um, for so many of us with any kind of public profile, um, the socials can be so ugly, and this has been a a positive. You've 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 added something to the positive existence of social media. So I wanted. I, I hope this has felt like a counter to that, um, to the negativity that's out there in some ways, because it certainly contributed some positivity to it. Yeah, you know, that's kind of been the lesson for me. I've never seen this side of social media. You and I've talked a, a thousand times about you can't win as a national guy, and every Cub fan thought I was rooting for it. Cleveland. Every Cleveland fan, all they talk about is my love for the Cubs after that World Series and after that win because Cleveland and their fans, they were mad, and I was the one telling them that they lost. And, you know, during the course of the seven games, I'm screaming and yelling for Indians home runs because that's my job, and people in Chicago, always from St. Louis, he hates the Cubs, which is crazy too. And so you can't win, and then you do this kind of stuff, during this time in our country and in our world, and you see the other side of it, uh, of social media, and it's been eye-opening, it's been great, it's been fun. I never thought fun and Twitter or social media would ever be in the same sentence, but it has been. They have been, and so it's uh, it's been rewarding for me personally. And people, it's it's hit a niche, and, and it's it's hit a spot because people are viewing these things, at, at least in my life, uh, just unfathomable uh, and an unfathomable rate. Yeah. And, um, and, and the reason it's resonating so much, I think is because your voice and your pace is a part of our lives um, by now. It's just, and it's, it's comfortable. It's comforting to hear. And, um, and that's, it's definitely, it's definitely welcome without the baseball. At least we can hear the sound of baseball and that's, and that's you in a lot of ways. So thanks, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the time. Appreciate the conversation. I'll, I'll look forward to daddy issues. And if you get Springsteen on, um, you got to read him that quote. All right. I will. I'm going to read the book and I'm going to circle that page and I will for sure. And if he's, yeah. if he specifically has texted me and he has words to get into like a Super Bowl and or a World Series game, he can at least yeah. come on the podcast. I think so. I, I think so. And yeah. um, do me a favor. In, in that page in the book, draw a picture of me um, on that page. Just how you see me. You know, something with resplendent hair. It'll just hair, be a full damn head of hair. <laughs> That's fine. That, that defines me. I'll take it right now. Okay. Um, all right, Joe. All right. Thanks, man. Enjoy your quarantine. Right, be safe. Man. Be sane. You too. All right. See you. Bye. Okay. I'll see you later. That's Joe Buck on 670 The Score. It's a good dude. It's hit and run. 
Matt Spiegel is me uh, right here on The Score. Uh, this hour of which, well, actually the bottom of the hour, let me tell you, was brought to you by Northwestern Football. Coach Fitz and the Wildcats host Nebraska and Maryland this fall at Ryan Field. Buy tickets now at nusports.com. This segment is brought to you by Illini Care Health. You deserve quality health care. Choose Illini Care Health for health care coverage that includes free gym memberships, after-school care, and school uniforms that either you or your family can take advantage of. Visit IlliniCare.com today. Illini Care Health is a health choice Illinois plan. Ed Howard from Mount Carmel High School, first-round draft pick most likely, will join us at the top of the hour right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. This is called negotiation, ladies and gentlemen. Do you want to watch? Michelle on the left is trying to prepare quiz? dinner. Wyatt on the right, fighting back a yawn, dressed like kind of a half-assed Fred you Flintstone. You do want to watch Blippi? And he's now, he wants to watch Blippi, folks. Oh, and he's hit his mom. He has hit his mom. Mom is playing it up. Wyatt is crying. All hell is broken loose inside this house. Quarantine day seven. Oh, God. <laughs> Joe Buck doing play-by-play of a family sitting around deciding what to do. He has hit his mom. He has hit his mom. <laughs> he wants a blippy? Is that what it was? I don't even know what a blippy is. but Blippy's a wants. YouTube character, and it's the, most, okay. it's the most obnoxious videos that kids love. Oh, God. Oh, God. Thank, thank God my, my son hasn't found his way there, as far as I know. Oh, God, it's so entertaining. Um, Joe Buck doing play-by-play -play of anything. Uh, thanks to those of you who reached out about the, uh, the conversation. Um, and, and, you know, very often I get stuff like this. Uh, you know, good interview. I used to think Joe Buck was a jag. <clears throat> but after hearing him on the score a few times, I've actually come to like him. Yeah, that kind of thing. Peoria Matt, I was never a Joe Buck fan, but after hearing his interviews, I've changed. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. He's self-aware. We all have different stuff, right? We all have different stuff that we got from our parents, from our lives, whatever. And he knows the ridiculous good fortune that placed him as a toddler, literally crawling around the radio booth while his dad did Cardinals games. You know, and the good fortune that that ends up leading him to be doing football on Fox at age 24. He said age 25 for opening day of the 1995 NFL season. I think it was, um, you know, it's just in insane. And he knows. And that's why his book is called Lucky Bastard. So it's it's all and also because his, he was born out of wedlock. 
Um, so, you know, as long as you're self-aware, man, then, and you're, and, and you realize that, that your stuff is, is what you have to work on and how you can try to be a good person in the world, then people are way more redeeming than we think sometimes. Oh, that got heavy. Why did that get so heavy? I'll tell you why it got heavy. Cause there's no baseball. It's hit and run. It's a baseball show. I would love to be talking baseball with you. I would love to be breaking down stolen base technique. I, I would love to be worrying about ridiculousness. Okay? I, I, I would I would I would love to be worried about bullpens blowing seventh inning leads and whether Craig Kimbrell's four seam fastball was special anymore. I would love to be worrying about that. And I will at times. Last week on Hit and Run, we talked to Ryan Dempster. I had a great conversation there. If you're looking for some, some conversation, if you missed that, I thought it was there was some really good stuff in there. Demp is a, is a good dude. But we talked about Craig Kimbrell's changeup. That's my spring training obsession. And here in the elongated, unwanted version of spring training, it remains my obsession that when Craig comes back, that he mixes in the changeup and just tries to mess with people a little bit more. But that's neither here nor there because it's not happening. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. You can hop on in if you like um, and talk about whatever you want in baseball or whatever you want of, uh, of from that interview. Um, let's hear a little bit more. This was one of my favorites is the dog, Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is a dog. It's a great name for a dog. And he's He's got a big stick in his mouth, and he's having a very mild-mannered battle with another dog. And Joe Buck called this via play-by-play this week. All right, this is a typical Tuesday morning battle between uh, Bruce Wayne in the black and white and Rocco in the brown and white. Bruce Wayne clearly toying with his opposition. Rocco doesn't seem to have a chance, but they both seem to be enjoying it. Not as much as Bella is, who is uh, just kind of watching from off to the side. All right, so Rocco is uh, doing all that he can. Bruce Wayne barely moves, and it's over. It's over. The fight is over, and now Bruce Wayne says, nope, nope, tired of this, nope. Rocco is uh, doing his best, and that's it. It's over. Bruce Wayne wins again. That is 64 wins in a row. The dog that weighs three times more than Rocco. 64 wins in a row. I love the stats. Oh, God, just pulling them out of the air. And they, right, I mean, there's so much fun. So go to his Twitter feed, at Buck. And I know that everybody he records one to, he asks to make a charitable contribution to um, whichever charity you think makes the most sense right now. And Lord knows there are a lot that need it right now. So um, in honor of that conversation and, and Joe's generosity with his time, I'll be donating, donating to Feed My Starving Children, where my wife has worked for uh, a decade and it's an amazing place, fmsc.org, Feed My Starving Children, a, a place where you volunteer, and maybe you've done it before. You can go and volunteer and help pack food that is sent around the world to the communities that desperately need it the most. And, um, you know, right now they're shut down, like everything else, like just about everything else. They're shut down because you can't really pack food in safe proximity with each other. There's no way that... 
what usually is the case, eight to 10 people at a table at a different station, all volunteering together and, and, and sharing in this experience to pack these different ingredients um, into bags and seal them and box them up and get them to where they need to go. You can't really do it. So they're hurting right now. So look, if you've got it in you and you can, you can go to fmsc.org and, um, and, and donate as, as we have, as she has for years and through her work there. Just a great, a great way to do it. If, if you, and if you are looking to do something locally, you can find a number of, of ways to, to help locally. And, you know, people are in need. Everybody, do your part, folks. Do your part. And sometimes your part is simply to stay home. Stinks. Stinks. It's hard not visiting family, right? You know? It's, uh, it, it's hard not, not getting the kind of visits and the kind of FaceTime you need with people. But we've, uh, we've all got to do our part. And maybe if we get lucky... We'll have baseball sooner rather than later. We'll have life sooner rather than later. Society and normalcy sooner rather than later. In the meantime, we work with what we have. And that means games galore that are available out there. It means going back and looking at things that have happened that uh, are incredibly compelling and fun to watch. Jackie Robinson West, when that all went down, in 2014, that was incredibly exciting in this town for the South Side, for African-American baseball, for just baseball in general, uh, just in- incredibly satisfying and exciting. And then, of course, when the title was taken away because of some of the rules that they had broken, that was deflating and, and that was unfortunate on, on a number of levels. And I'm not here to relitigate that. But that experience still happened for you and I as we watched it. And for those young players, imagine being one of those young players. Well, one of them is Ed Howard, who now, five and a half years later, finds himself as a senior at Mount Carmel High School on the verge of getting drafted by Major League Baseball. So it's an incredible story. And you remember watching him and you'll be watching him again in the future on a different level. We'll talk to him next. That's right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.